Welcome to this podcast series, Magic and Mayhem, Discover the Secrets to Creating Magnificent Books for Kids and Teens, with the Australian Writers' Centre, one of the world's leading centres for writing courses. My name's Valerie Koo. I'm founder of the Australian Writers' Centre, and through this series, I have the pleasure of bringing you a curated group of wonderful authors who all specialise in writing for children. You may have first heard them on our regular podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer?, As this pop-up podcast series rolls out, you'll hear from authors who specialise in picture books, chapter books, middle grade fiction, and young adult books. And also you'll hear from publishers of children's books, so you'll get a great overview of the whole industry. In fact, if you're interested in writing for one or several of those age groups, you'll have your own library that will give you a great insight in what you need to know about writing children's books. But make sure you do listen to all of them because you'll discover ideas and techniques and tips from all of the authors, regardless of which age group they write for, and you'll be able to apply those ideas to your own creative process. We've got a real treat for you this episode. Today, we're talking with Leslie Gibbs. Leslie is an Australian author who writes beautiful picture books and junior fiction. Since turning to writing, Leslie's books have been published internationally and consistently win awards. In fact, her very first picture book, Scary Night, was awarded Early Childhood Book of the Year on a book by the Children's Book Council of Australia. Since then, Leslie has gone on to publish a total of seven picture books, with another three due out in 2019, as well as four books in the Fizz series for junior readers. And she happens to be a presenter at the Australian Writers' Centre. I really love talking with Leslie in this interview. She offers great advice to people who are just starting out on their writing journey and shares valuable insights and lessons she's learned during her career as a picture book and junior fiction writer. And make sure you keep listening after the interview to discover how Leslie can help with your children's book idea. Enjoy. Leslie, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Valerie. Now, look, you've, you, you started life off as a primary school teacher and then you decided at some point, I want to write and now you write these fantastic children's books. So just tell me, before you talk about your latest book, just tell me how did you get into this? You know, how did you figure out what to do in between uh, teaching Well, I think I've always had it in me that I'd like to write and um, being a teacher, there are lots and lots of opportunities for me to practice that. So I was writing for assembly items and telling stories and and doing stories through dance choreography, all sorts of things, but I wasn't writing for publication, but I certainly had got a lot of um, practice going. And through 16 years of teaching, just reading and reading so many picture books, so many chapter books to children. And I think, I don't think I could have written before I had done that 16 years of teaching. I think that was the real background for me to learn how to write And so it wasn't until I had my two children and went on maternity leave that I thought I actually now have time to write, which must sound really weird. But (laughs) for people out there who are teachers, they'll know it's a huge job. And it also sort of has so much opportunity for creativity. That kind of urge is fulfilled. And I think when I stopped um, teaching, I really felt like um, I had this need to fulfill my creativity again. And I thought, well, you've always wanted to write. 
and you have a little bit of time in between feeding and changing now. <laughs> um, this is t- a time to do it. So you either do it now or you put mm. that to bed and you forget about it. And I thought, well, you're going to have to be brave because I might actually find out that although uh, I can write school assembly items and things like that, that maybe my skills just weren't, um, you know, good enough for publication. So I did have to be very brave and take that leap at knowing that, that I might find that out and that would be disappointing. But I think um, it would be more disappointing if I didn't try, if I got to the end of my life and I, I, I didn't do something that I really would have liked to have tried. So, so when, that's what spurred me on. Yeah, so when then was your first book published? Which one was it? Well, my first book was A Scary Night and it was published in 2014. Now, it was accepted in 2012 and this is might be something that listeners don't realize is that you have to be very very patient in publishing it takes a long time so it you know it was accepted in 2012 by Jane Covington and working title at working title press and um um, my my illustrator was Stephen Michael King which I was delighted about I had um, read his books to students and books that he had illustrated um, over the years of my teaching. And so it was really quite surreal to find out that Stephen said, yes, he would illustrate it, that he really liked Scary Night. Um, but because he's so popular, he was booked out for two years. I had to wait two years for Stephen to be ready to illustrate it. Um, so, it, yeah, it was it was a long wait. And I had told all my friends this was happening and they must have thought I was lying because it just <laughs> for two years so finally finally it came out and it just looked absolutely beautiful it was really a book to be very very proud of and it did it went on um to do very very well and it was um in 2015 it was um a children's book council honor book so I was I started yeah, with fantastic <laughs> really good for your debut I would say now you, it's two years before you got to see it actually and hold it in your hand so tell me what happened after that got accepted what happened in the ensuing two years before you know you got down to the editing and, and, and working with the publisher when the illustrator was ready what else did you do and and release or and write obviously well, you cannot just sit and wait for that to happen because it's two years is going to go. So you're constantly writing and for, for people out there who want to get into writing, you just, um, I think creating a great volume of work is really, really important in terms of creativity. You just keep on writing manuscripts and most of them are absolutely atrocious and that's okay. Give yourself permission to write really badly. Um, but out of every piece of writing, you strengthen your craft. So I was writing and writing lots and lots of other manuscripts. Some of those have now been published and others are just sitting in the drawer. I went on to do lots of courses in all sorts of different places and that's really, really important as well because writing is a craft and it can be learned and it can certainly be improved. So although I came along with some reasonable skills from all those years of teaching and writing and reading books, that was a great background, it certainly wasn't enough. I had to go off and do lots of courses and it was just wonderful because um, it was a time when my husband 
looked after the children and I went off and I did something that was just for me and it was so special and the yes. first course I did was with Francis Watts and I just absolutely adored the course and I learned so much and um, it's just wonderful meeting um, authors I didn't realize that you could do that that you sure. could actually meet these people whose work you have admired over the years and they will teach you wonderful things about uh, about writing so I just did that constantly lots and lots of courses lots and lots of writing lots of manuscripts sending all sorts of things out getting lots and lots of rejections and um sometimes you would get um a reject actually have a rejection slip in your hand but most of the time it's if you don't hear from us in you know three to four months we didn't want your manuscript which i always feel is just it's so cold <laughs> yes very cold yes and so just tell us then, because you have obviously come to writing children's books and starting off with picture books later in life, or you've spent 16 years as a primary teacher, uh, but it's it, it, you've, you've done so much. You've been so prolific since 2014. So just take us through just a potted um, uh, list of the books that have been released so far of yours. Okay. From, so from after Scary Night. Okay, so we started with Scary Night, and although Scary Night was my first published, it wasn't the first book that I wrote that I felt was doing really well. That was Bring a Dark, and that came in second with Scholastic. And I think that was then followed by, oh, I'm not sure of the order, Quick as a Fairy Pink. Describe, sorry, how would you describe Bring a Duck? What's that about? Oh, Bring a Duck is a riotous story in uh, – a combination of rhyme and prose, and it's about a duck-themed th- um, duck birthday party. So Bear gets invitation from Pig, and it says, you know, come to my birthday party, bring your own duck. So that starts up an awful lot of fun at this bring a duck birthday party. But I love birthday parties, and if you know Scary Night, you know that ends with a birthday party as well. It's not scary at all. And then I was followed up with Bring a Duck, which is about birthdays. And then Quigswink Furry Pink came out, and that's uh, I love this book. It's another interactive book. Little Fairy Pink and all the other flutter fairies of different colours are going off to bed, but Fairy Pink um, is staying up. She doesn't want to go to bed, and she plays hide-and-seek, and you have to find her in the illustrations. And Sarah Acton, the illustrator, did a beautiful job with that. That's lots of fun. Mm-hmm. And then a very sleepy story, Little Bear's First Sleep, which was a notable book this year. Um, that's another one that has come out, illustrated by Lisa Stewart, with beautiful soft bear illustrations. And Little Bear is doing something for the very first time. And that's a theme that you often see in picture books, because children really relate to that, doing something that they've never done before. And Little Bear is doing his first long hibernation sleep. And unfortunately, when he gets to the cave, mum and dad are asleep already, and he has to find a way of putting himself self to sleep on his own which he manages to do so that's a gorgeous little little story and um then there's some strange little ones there I've got a book called Poppy's Special Talent and it was um, a freelance work called uh, what sorry Poppy's Special Talent oh yes Poppy's Special, uh, Poppy, uh, special Talent and Poppy, yeah. She, um, it was written for a, a group of um, kindergartens. They wanted, um, they had a grant and they wanted a story that would encourage um, their ethnic community to send their students to preschool before they went to big school. So Poppy's special talent talks about all the sorts of skills that kids are learning 
um, in preschool and how they lead to some different occupations and things, but it's done in a really fun way. So that was a really special one. That's now part of the Dolly Parton Imagination Library. So I'm really quite proud of how that one's done, but you can't purchase that one. Um, so in how the did you get commissioned for something like that? How did that come about? Well, that came through my agent. So they have sought out a literary agent to ask if there was someone who could write to demand, which is quite a different skill. Um, you know, being uh, yeah, being able to um, take a brief and then and then write that that brief, and that, so that's quite challenging. But I have found that I can do that, so that was great um, getting a piece of work like that. And then um, I have the whole jazz, uh, the whole Fizz series, um, illustrated by Stephen Michael King, and that's a chapter book series of of four books, and they were also a notable. Um, book the first one Fizz and the Police Dog Triads was yeah. a notable book this year. So for people who are not quite sure what you mean by chapter books because the picture book is pretty straightforward and maybe first why don't you define picture book versus chapter book? Right so a picture book and this is really important and I do ask people if, when I speak to um, people who want to write picture books, I ask them, you know, what do you think a picture book is? And they, one thing that they often don't get is that the story is told through both the text and the illustration together, 50-50. And there are things in the tech, in the illustrations that just don't appear in the text. And if you take the illustrations away, you've really got half a story in the text. So um, that's a really, really important thing um, to know. And although chapter books have lots of illustrations in them, the texts um, stands more on its own and the uh, illustrations are there to accompany it and also to support um, newly independent readers. So chapter books are a longer text than a picture book but they're shorter than a full-length novel, say a, a middle-grade novel, and they're complex enough to be split into chapters but they are for children around six to nine years of age. And these are the kids who are just starting to read independently. So with picture books, it tends to be um, a joint reading with an adult. The chapter books are their first step into reading independently. And kids, um, they're so enthused by chapter books. They're a wonderful type of um, book to write because um, there's so much um, – you have a lot of pressure, I guess, on you because these are the books that get kids reading for the first time and really switch them on to lifelong reading. And they're the books that they can really, really treasure and re remember back to those first um, chapter book series that they read. And they are often a series. Mostly chapter books are a series. And the reason is they are so small and slender. If you turn them to the side and look at the spine, when they sit on the shelf, um, they're just going to get swallowed up and disappear. So they tend to be a series so that they take up a fair amount of space on the shelf and people notice them. So, yeah, chapter book series are just so much fun and so exciting and so important. <laughs> yes. So I want to explore more of the Fizz series in a sec, but before we do, um, let's sort of round off. What are your latest books that have come out most recently or about to come out? Well, I have two picture books out this year and both of them are Australian themed and I just love that about them. So my, the first one out earlier in the year was Fluke, illustrated by Michelle Dawson and it came out through Working Title Press, which is now an imprint of HarperCollins, which they purchased this year. 
And Fluke is based on a, um, actually, it's, it's awful when I say this because when I talk to kids about how I um, find my stories, they say, well, with Fluke and your teachers have to close their ears, it was came from the television. <laughs> so it was, it was reported on the television that um, a southern right whale was born in Sydney Harbour and it was just all over the news in the papers and on television. And the people of Sydney came out onto the foreshores to have a look at this beautiful whale calf and it swam all around the harbour and down into Manly and eventually once it's become strong enough and big enough after a certain number of months it will then leave and go back to Antarctica so I thought that's a wonderful um, story I'm going to weave um, a fictional story around that so there it is based on a real event and there's a fictional story woven in but there were other things that it was based on as well so there was an incident in Sydney Harbour where a whale was hit by a ferry. It took a chunk out of its back. But the scientists believed that it would be okay, which was good news. So I put that in my mind, the idea about having an altercation with a ferry, you know, sort of a little whale in a, in a big harbour. That's a dangerous place to be really. Um, and then there was a really sad story down our way uh, on Pitwater and it was a little humpback whale that became separated from its mother and it was so young, it was still suckling because whales are mammals, of course they suckle. And it was found trying to suckle to the hull of a boat, which to a whale looked like the underbelly of a mother whale. And so the marine biologists thought they might be able to get a pod of females to adopt it, but they couldn't. And because they couldn't feed it because it was still suckling milk, eventually it got so sick it had to be put down. But in my mind, you know, I sort of grabbed that and I thought, um, you know, being separated from your mother when you're young um, is an awful thing and something that children have experienced at some stage when mum's gone out of their view. So I sort of put all of these things together and wove this lovely story of Fluke who's born in Sydney Harbour. Everyone in the city comes out to watch Fluke grow and find out um, how what his mother is teaching him. And unfortunately, Fluke goes missing. He has an altercation with the ferry mm. and he dives deep down to the bottom of the ocean to get away from the danger. And in doing so, he becomes separated from his mother and he can't find her. And at this point in the story, it's told through three points of view from Fluke, who's lost, from the people of the city of Sydney Harbour um, searching for this lost whale and from the mother who's calling for Fluke. And, of course, there's a nice ending because Fluke does find his mum and is reunited. The, the children are so young when they're reading picture books, and, yes, they're reading them usually with an adult. Yes. Uh, and like both those stories you just <laughs> mentioned about Fluke and about the actual whale uh, that you referred to earlier, Traumatize me like you don't understand. <laughs> oh, and you're such a softie. <laughs> no, really, I, 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 yes, I, I read some picture books and I feel so traumatized. I do you have it in your mind, you know, what can a kid who's five or four or whatever, what can they handle? Do you, is that in your mind when you are? determining you know what happens to your characters and what your characters do and and the challenges that they need to face well I, I think I always like my um, stories um, to have some emotion about them whether that's joy or whether that's worry as in with fluke but the fluke story goes through 
a whole gamut of emotions. And I think that's important for children to work through, that these things can happen. You can lose sight of mum, but there's a way to find your way back. And in picture books, you know, we often have, um, you know, the main character needs to find a way themselves and to to be reunited and have that happy ending. Um, I like the fact that, uh, that that happens and I think kids love going through that emotion. It makes them attached to the story. <laughs> anyway, I, I want to um, – oh, and, of course, your other book that's coming out soon is Bouncing, yes. Bouncing, Little Joey's A Bush Christmas. Um, so – and that's that's in rhyme, is it? Yes, this one's all rhyme. And I love writing in rhyme. It's so important, uh, I think, as with my background in teaching, I just know how important rhyme is for children in supporting their reading and for prediction in a text. And this is for quite young children. This is for preschool and into kindergarten at, um, at kindergarten year one in school. Um, so that, that rhyme is going to help them with prediction in the text. And when they read the story again and again, um, they're going to learn it. They're going to be able to see those words. The rhyme is going to help them. So I, I love writing and rhyme, but it has to be done really well because a picture book is read out loud. It can't clunk. <laughs> it has to be um, – everyone has to be able to read it very smoothly. So I do um, work very hard when I'm writing in rhyme to make sure that it um, the rhythm is correct and that anyone who picks it up is going to read it in a similar way. Um, so you're very prolific, very, very prolific, and a lot of books released in the last couple of years. Now, I'm interested to know because you've said, you know, you 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 can't wait for two years, like in those first two years, you, you had many other, many manuscripts on the go. How many manuscripts would you have going at once, like say now perhaps, and how do you then divide your headspace or your time or your time allocation to to each of them? Do you have a system or is it just whatever you feel like? Well, when I first started, my goal was to write a completed story, a picture book story per month. So at the end of the year, I would have 12 um, picture book manuscripts. Most of those were no good. But I always um, completed a manuscript beginning to end because there was something that Francis Watts said to me that has stayed with me over the years, and that is if you only write the beginning of a story and know that it's not right and not going to work and then you stop and then you go to the next thing and write the beginning of that, you're only going to get good at writing beginnings, you won't get good at writing middles, and you're certainly not going to have the practice at writing endings. So even if I know the manuscript isn't working, it's not going to be publishable, I still finish the story. And sometimes I have been able to take the ending of another manuscript that didn't work um, and use it in a manuscript that was actually working and became published. So that's a real, really great piece of advice. Always write beginning to end, even if it's no good. Um, these days I, I don't um, write in that way so much and I might have a few things going at once. Um, Sometimes I might have a couple of picture books and I might be writing on a, um, a chapter book, having another go at another chapter book series. Um, and whatever I, I'm sort of switched onto at the time that's enthusing me is what I'll be start putting um, the effort into. And then I might come to a part that's really difficult and I might need 
need to leave it. It might be best just to leave that manuscript for a little bit and go, go and work on something else. And while you're doing that, it's funny what your brain does. It, you know, it starts thinking about that and at night time starts to sort through things and suddenly, um, you know, an answer appears because writing yeah. is a lot to do with problem solving. Um, and so a problem solved and you might go back to it and, and, and keep going. So I will work on a few things. Yeah. So I want to talk about your Fizz series. Just tell us, which is your chapter book series, um, just tell us briefly what the Fizz series is about. Right. Well, Fizz is a little white fluffy dog and Aww. he's based on my dogs, which are Jack Russells, who they don't know that they're a little dog. They think they're a big dog and they'll bark at anything. Yeah. So I wanted a character like that. But instead of being like um, – Adult Jack Russell. This dog is a Bolognese, which is about the size of a Jack Russell, but really, really, really fluffy, incredibly fluffy and frizzy. So I called it Fizz. And um, more than anything, Fizz wants to be a police dog. So in the world of Sunnyvale City, dogs can talk, mm-hmm. um, but otherwise they do. They can only do what dogs can do. That was sort of the rules of the Fizz world. So when dogs um, are grown up, they have to find themselves a job. Um, and they go to see Ms. Trudgeon at the dog employment department. But Fizz does not want to go there because he wants to become a police dog and he doesn't think that, you know, he's going to get that job because he doesn't look like a police dog. And his parents are very worried about him. They they think that he, think he'll be disappointed, so they discourage him. But Fizz goes anyway, and that's where the, the story starts. And he has a best friend there, Benny, and we meet um, – we meet Armadeus, who's a bully, because we all know we've got to put some problems in the way for our characters. So Fizz is small and white and fluffy, and he doesn't look like a police dog. His family doesn't support him. We have a bully who sabotages him, and there are three really, really hard tests that he has to pass in order to become a police dog. And so that's sort of the premise there for the first book in the series. Now, mm. You might think, well, of course, for the series to continue, Fizz has to become a police dog, but there's a little twist there at the end. And it came about something that Libby Gleeson told me at a course, and she said there are three ways that a story can end. Either your character fails and they don't get what they want, or they're successful and they get exactly what they want, or they fail and they get something that's different but equally as good or better. And I thought, I love that idea. I'm going to do that for Fizz. So you'll have to read it to find out what actually. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So now a picture book for the younger readers is usually around 500 words. How many words is a chapter book usually approximately? Oh, it can vary. So the Fizz books are around five to five and a half thousand words. And that's probably right smack bang in the middle of, of what a chapter book can be. But then there are early chapter books that are a lot less than that. So something like Billy B. Brown, which would probably be for the very youngest of those independent readers. Now, I'm not exactly sure how long they are, but I would say something like 2,000 words. So they're really quite a um, very small word count. Then you've got something like Fears and... Um, uh, Captain Underpants, and they're sort of, I imagine, around that five, five and a half thousand. And then you can jump up to about 10,000. So there's a bit of a range. Um, but, you know, when you start going to uh, a middle grade novel, you're looking at that um, 25, 30, 
5,000 word mark there. So there's a big, big jump you can see to a middle grade novel. So you wrote picture books and then you decide at some point that you want to write chapter books, which are totally different. They're 10 times the length of most picture books. They're a completely different age group. Why did you decide to to move into chapter books when you were already going so well with your picture books? Well, Fizz began as a picture book, um, but I just found that the story was too large. I did try cutting it down and trying to squeeze it into 500 words, but it just lost all its charm. So I thought, I think it needs to be a larger um, a larger word count, and I just let it come out just as it wanted to naturally. And it ended up around the 5,000 word mark, and it just really worked for this story. That word count was just perfect. And uh, I worked on it for um, about six months before I felt that it was um, that it was right. And did you – so you worked um, with Stephen Michael King again. Mm-hmm. What kind of collaboration is there on a chapter book? What do you do, do you hand over your manuscript and and leave it to his uh, expertise and skill, or do you have a, a certain level of collaboration um, as to how the pictures and words marry in the end? How does it work? Well, I think the um, the editor is sort of that person that looks at. Um, marrying the text and the illustration. So for me as the illustrator, I pretty much do hand it over, particularly when it's someone like Stephen Michael King and he is so talented and has such a strong skill set that he's able to do that. But there was collaboration in that um, the the dogs were a definite breed and I had – what I like to do is go onto the internet. I love to find pictures of these dogs that just look exactly like the dogs that I'm writing about. And so I sent to him this cast of characters for Fizz so that he had all the dogs and how I saw them looking. And then, of course, Stephen then needs to take those pictures and put them into sort of a caricature of those particular um, um, breeds. And I was shown all these gorgeous uh, pictures that Stephen had done and, and I certainly get time with the editor to talk about them um, but they were just absolutely divine and I knew how Stephen draws dogs because he loves dogs and he's done many dog um, picture books of his own so I kind of knew what they were would look like if they were Stephen Michael Kinged. <laughs> <laughs> so you have written a, about many characters that are animals and um, obviously you must like animals, I assume, but they, yet they are characters with, with, you know, fears and hopes and characteristics and, and idiosyncrasies and stuff like that. How do you, um, uh, do, do you develop your characters in a similar way as if they were humans? Do you create dossiers on them? Do you write down things that they would and wouldn't do or things that they would and wouldn't say or wear or, or, or whatever. How does that work for you? Oh, they're, they're definitely people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, all the characters are definitely people, but they're put into, uh, you know, an animal um, character. Um, and so, yeah, you do need to know your characters really well if you're going to write well with them. So the things that you were just saying then about, you know, writing their likes and dislikes and 
you know, writing as that character um, to another character, what would they say or what would happen in this situation? So you really get to know your characters inside out. Those are really um, important activities to do, I think, if you're building up the characters, particularly for a chapter book series, I, I feel. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, something that everyone should be doing. Um, one of the things that I think you and I have previously spoken about is world building in in your picture books and chapter books. Can you just um, expand on that a little bit more because it was such a great conversation that I think that people get a lot of insight into it. Well, with the Fizz series, um, because uh, this is a really good example of world building because it's different to the world that we know because in the Fizz world, dogs can talk. And I had to really think about, well, in this world, what are the rules? And I'm going to have to... Uh, keep to those rules as I go through this series so the dogs um, have a similar level of ability. So when I first started writing um, Fizz and the Police Dog Chance, the first book, I did have dogs with different abilities. So there was a character in there that got cut. I cut that myself and it was a character um, that was Fizz's grandmother and she was reading so that Fizz could find out that there was a police dog tryout. And I sort of, you know, thinking about that, well, you know, do I really want to go to that level where dogs are actually reading? So I thought, no, that's just, I'm going to bring that back down again. So I had to bring in another character, a human character, um, a groundskeeper at Sunnyvale Shelter. Um, and um, he was able to read the article to Fizz. So you have to really think about what the rules are when you're building a world that's different to the world that we know and you need to stick to that. So, uh, yeah, that's that's um, a real skill and something that um, if you're going to write chapter books, you really need to have a really um, good look at that. So do you do that consciously at the beginning? Do you write down the rules of the world before you start writing or is it something that, you know, you, you, you figure out as you go along? Um, I think it's look. You, if you could figure that out before you start, then you're not going to have to go back and redo things. So I would yes. certainly advise for anyone um, if it's if that's something you haven't thought about before, which probably isn't. If you haven't um, gone into writing chapter books, I would say yes. Think if you're doing a world that's different to the world and the rules that we know, think about very carefully about what those rules are and how they're going to affect that world and your characters and how they behave. And write that out and then then do your first chapter and see how that feels and how that's going to work for you. Um, rather than going past that first chapter, if it's not working, go back to, the, to your rules and make adjustments because if you go a long way into your story, you're only going to have to come back and undo it and it, it may not be that easy. Once you've written something, it can be very difficult to, to unwrite it. Mm, yes. And now if when you – um, stopped teaching to have your kids at that point did you think that you would be where you are now with all so many books under your belt and and writing as your profession um no it was a lovely surprise <laughs> <laughs> I'm absolutely delighted um and it's something that's special just for me which is which is wonderful um but no I think and I often think that um you know, if I could have foreseen what would happen um, for me, uh, how many books I have and how many are 
um, now printed um, in overseas countries, you know, and having children, say, from America, send me little letters saying how much they love the Fizz series. Um, no, I would never have, have thought that would happen. It's just so lovely. And you are writing full-time now? I mean, that's your, 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 your yes. teaching? Yeah. No, no, I'm not back in the classroom, although I do school visits. Um, yes. And so children can certainly see me that way, and I do, I do enjoy those moments of teaching when I do author visits. And you teach adults as well um, in terms of writing children's books. So um, what is the most um, challenging part of, of your writing process, do you think? Oh, I think sometimes um, you can try so hard that you can switch that creativity switch off. And that can be really hard. So you can get that writer's block. Um, and then you have to work your way out of that. And it's usually by doing little writing activities, um, small writing activities to just to get the writing juices flowing again. Oh, for me, I love going back into my childhood and thinking of like, um, obviously for scary night, it was, you know, what was the scariest memory that you have? Or what's the happiest memory that you have from childhood? Um, what's the time? Um, that you were separated from mum or just writing down those memories. And and I think because it's personal and you feel a lot of emotion about it, the writing is a lot more vivid and that can just, you know, switch you back again into that creative mode. And sometimes just remembering those stories from your childhood, your fears and your loves can trigger an idea for a terrific mm-hmm. picture book. Tell me what you're working on now. Oh, well, I've got a couple of things. Yes. Um, picture book-wise, I am I I love um, this idea of the wild Brumby. Mm. And so I'm just thinking, can I find something there? I might, I might not, who knows? Mm. And um, I'd l- also um, working, trying to find an idea for another chapter book series and, and working on that at the moment and see if I can come up with something really interesting. Well, you're certainly busy. Uh, now, what can, what's, finally, what's your advice to people who are listening to this and they want to be in your position um, where they're writing full-time, in, you know, something that they maybe um, isn't just an idea in their head but they're just not sure if it's going to happen. What's your advice to aspiring writers? I think going and doing lots of courses so come into the Australian Writers' Centre, lots of courses, meeting um, your favourite authors, mm. asking questions, networking, going to festivals. There are not a lot of publishing houses that um, open up to unsolicited manuscripts. It's getting narrower and narrower. So you need to go to the festivals and um, book in with your manuscripts and have them looked at by editors, by writers, um, um, by agents, and that's the way that you can get your foot in the door as well, so that's really important. Speed dating, I didn't get to do that, but that sounds like an awful lot of fun. 
<laughs> so like speed, yeah, speed dating with publishers and agents, yes. That's, that's <laughs> right. You get about five minutes to pitch something and if they like it, they'll take your manuscript. I thought yes. that. I missed out on that. I got published before I had a chance to do that, but that's <laughs> a lot of fun. But there are lots and lots of opportunities, but you have to sort of get yourself up away from the computer and actually go out places and, and meet people and do those things as well as you know, having that time to sit down and write and write a lot and give yourself permission to be, um, to write badly. It's okay. Don't think that everything has to be perfect or you'll never do anything. So I think you've got to get, get rid of all that bad writing, get rid of all those first ideas that you thought were fabulous because they probably aren't. I've always found that, you know, I get get rid of my first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth idea about a certain topic and then I start to find things that are more interesting. Um, so I think if someone comes along and they've got this one great idea for a picture book or a chapter book series, maybe put that to the side until you've honed your craft a bit more and then come back and, and you know, try to write that idea. Because if you write it, that really great idea too early on, um, when your skills aren't quite as good as they could be, it's very, very difficult to unwrite that or try and write it again once you've got yeah. that idea down. So I'd say set that really good idea aside for a little bit later and try other things. And maybe you come back and think, well, what I thought was a really good idea actually wasn't. Or on the other hand, maybe it still is and then you should go for it. Yeah. Love it. Great advice. Um, and on that note, thank you so much for your time today, Leslie. Oh, thanks so much, Valerie. It was my pleasure. What I love about this episode is that Leslie is so honest about the fear she felt when she started on her writing journey. You have to be brave, she said. Yes, it would be disappointing to discover you're not good enough, but it would be more disappointing to not try. Another really important takeaway is that you can't just write one book and sit back and hope for the best. When her first book was accepted, Leslie didn't think, okay, great, I'm done. She kept writing and writing and writing. She took courses. She kept sending out manuscripts. Along the same lines, Leslie said she always finishes a manuscript. If you keep writing beginnings, you never get good at middles, and you'll certainly never get good at endings. So there you go. Be like Leslie. Be persistent. Be brave and always finish your manuscripts. Would you love to learn from Leslie? Well, be sure to check out her brilliant course, Writing Chapter Books for Six to Nine-Year-Olds, at the Australian Writer Centre. You'll discover the magical ingredients that are needed for stories that enthrall young readers. Go to writercentre.com.au slash chapter to find out more. That's writercentre.com.au slash chapter.